Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea, named Law Firm of the Year at the Legal Business Awards and the Lawyer Awards 2017. Oh, the shark has pretty teeth, dear, and he shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has Mac Heath, dear, and he keeps it out of sight when the shark bites. That was Mac the Knife from Shirley Horn. Hello, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining. Jazz Shapers is where you get to hear the very best of people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And right alongside those brilliant musicians, you also hear from someone who's shaping the world of business. We call them business shapers. I'm really pleased to say my business shaper today is Dana Dennis-Smith. And Dana is the founder of Obelisk Support. They're an online platform for outsourcing legal support. And she's been doing some fantastic things in that space. going to be hearing lots from her very shortly. In addition to hearing from Dana, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And then on top of that, some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Blue Lab Beats, classic Cannonball Adderley and this from Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder with the iconic Isn't She Lovely. It always puts me in a good mood. Dana Dennis-Smith is with me today as my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. And she is the founder of Obelisk Support, the very online platform for basically providing big companies with legal support on an ad hoc basis, on an adaptable basis, which is um, a, a good thing because this hasn't been around very long. And it's hard. we'll talk all about why it's a good thing. Hello, Donna. How are you? I'm very well. Nice to be here. Tell me, you you started this business back in 2010. Why? Because you were a lawyer and you were also a journalist and you've been a researcher. You've done all these things. Why did you decide to be an entrepreneur and why did you decide to set up this this business that we are now talking about? Well, it's because I learned from being a journalist that it's good to um, be more nomadic in your working style. So... um, for journalism, I learned that you can focus on the output. You can file your story on time. Nobody asks you where you've been um, in trying to research it. So I tried to apply the kind of rules of freedom of working to law, which was very new at the time. And um, the reason why I found the business was because a lot of talent was going to waste because the working conditions were too inflexible. Mm. So uh, I wanted to bring back a lot of that talent uh, and enable them to work in a different way. So primarily focused on mothers, um, but increasingly a variety of types of working patterns and people that want more freedom in the way they work. So this is back in 2010, and obviously there are other people now doing sort of similar things. But when you set this up then, was there a kind of, ah, this isn't going to work, Dana? 
totally, not least because um, I was pregnant at the time. So um, I was this pregnant woman with a bunch of uh, mothers from the school gate. And it seemed like a really funny, um, you know, proposition. So for the first year of business, I didn't really get any business. <laughs> so um, I spent most of my time talking to other mothers and basically having a confirmation that there was a problem around how we utilize this talent and how we allow them to drop out of the working force uh, way too soon. So the average life uh, span of a woman in law would have been about 10 years um, when I was speaking to them. That was way too short. And um, they were pushed out for all the wrong reasons. So it confirmed I was um, going on about the right things, but I wasn't getting business as a result. Mm. And when did you get business? When was there, was there a moment when you went, hold on a minute, I know my instincts have been good, even though there hasn't been any business, there haven't been any people signing up, or there hasn't been any demand coming on the other side for that kind of talent. At what point did you go, do you know something, this is going to work? All along I knew it was going to work because I just had this kind of, if you like, a very strong sense of um, justice and injustice. So I knew that I was solving a problem and sooner or later the market would understand that the problem needed to be resolved. Um, but so in, ter- in terms of the actual business happening, that's the bit I'm really interested yeah. in commercially when you went, oh, okay, I know I'm right, which I, I love in you, and that's what every entrepreneur says, they feel it in there. But when did you go, oh, there's money coming in now? So uh, it started working after I literally got the bump out of the way. So once I had my child and um, I was able to come and focus on the business um, you know, more clearly after kind of initial days of childbirth. Um, so I would say late 2011, early 2012 is when we started getting on legal panels and um, you know, big players like BT were paying attention. And so the commercial started, you know, so the money started coming in and um, it became a viable business, if you like. Stay with me to find out much more from my business shapes. That's Dana Dennis-Smith. She's the founder of Obelisk Support. Time for some more music. This is Blue Lab Beats for my eldest child, not literally for him, but I know he likes them. And this is called Keep Moving. <laughs> That was the hypnotic sound of Blue Lab Beats with Keep Moving. Donna Dennis-Smith is my business shaper today, as I said earlier. She's founder of Obelisk Support. And actually, we're going to come on to this a little bit later. The First 100 Years, which is a charity that she or an organisation she's created to celebrate 100 years of women in the law. Um, another brilliant thing, which we, I do want to come to, as I said. Just going back into Obelisk Support itself. So this idea of having on tap people, mainly women at that point back in 2010 and 2011, that would be able to fill in and do the things because everyone has work to do but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit in the office all day it actually means you can you can do that work uh, around your own schedule were you worried about the practicalities of delivering this because it's one thing having a really good idea and it's another thing then scaling it how have you managed to translate great thoughts gap in the market to actually something that then can work while you're asleep as it were uh, certainly, I think that is the biggest challenge of any business owner is how can you create a very seamless operation 
But for me, I, I was very clear from the beginning that unless the client um, received a very good service, the company couldn't work. So the idea of having a lot of people working at hoc at home in their own time, but the client having visibility of these workings um, uh, just wouldn't wouldn't work. So I was very clear that it had to be a very seamless um, client journey, if you like. So I focused very much on that, made sure that the clients get what they need and how I build the capacity required for the project was my business. So I remember, for example, one of my um, early meetings that was a bit of a disaster um, with uh, one of the, the banks and and uh, the guy asked me exactly that question. And, um, you know, I said, well, you know, I don't ask you how you manage my current account. I don't know what's going on in the se- in the background. So um, I need to make sure that all these um, cogs work really well. But I shouldn't have to justify that to the client. So there were a lot of questions around that um, in client meetings. But I pushed back um, early on and I made sure that the delivery worked. So every client got what they needed um, and that we maintain a very kind of, you know, if you like a secret recipe of how we do it. It's our secret, but um, Mm. it works. And and was it when when this people started to realise what you were doing? I mean, I know you've been fated in in, in various probably more you know more uh, professional publications. People say Dana, she's a great innovator and, and all these other things. I think you're an FT shortlister back in 2012, I believe. In terms of people realising what you were doing, were you then starting to get calls from women going, "Wow, this is fantastic. This is another way." And I mean, did did you, did you sense that? And at that point, did you realise I really am onto something here? For sure. But in a way, I had the confirmation before even the commercials started materialising because I felt there was a hunger for a new way of working because these people felt disenfranchised by the profession. So they were looking for an answer and the answer came and they connected very quickly to it. Um, So if like the supplier base wasn't an issue because they knew they wanted to work and their brains were very good and they were very highly skilled. The biggest job was on the client side articulating the value proposition to the client so they understand they're getting something that is flexible, affordable, but it's good quality. And was it a, a, a helpful thing or a hindrance that you were actually a qualified lawyer? Which may sound a strange question, but, you know, lawyers, and I've, I've interviewed quite a few lawyers who've become entrepreneurs, they, by their own admission, kind of go, well, funny enough, my, my training sort of stops me taking risks and I have to overcome that. Did you have to overcome the same thing? I'd say it helped because, in a way, I was an insider and outsider at the same time. So it helped because the profession connected to me as a lawyer. But I made a very deliberate um, decision very early on that I will not touch any of the work that comes in. So I never did any work in the business as a lawyer on any of the projects. I didn't hold myself as as a lawyer. I I wasn't interested in doing the legal work. I was interested in a business solution to legal problems. Um, So I think that really helped because in my mind, I I, I was very clear I was an insider and outsider and only one. And I think that was um, a good decision. Stay with my insider-outsider, Donna Dennis-Smith, for more about Obelisk support, and um, we'll talk about First 100 Years as well and the fantastic work she's doing to raise awareness around women in the profession. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Michigan Direct for your business. Hi, I'm Richard Leadham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Michigan Direct. One of the things I always say to clients who come to me with a claim, whether it's against an insurance company or some sort of other financial institution, is be prepared to be in it for the long run because the opponents will try and wear you down. And that applies whether you're an individual or a relatively large company yourselves. Some of these institutions are set up to try and drive you um, to distraction and abandon the claim. So having the stamina and the appetite is very important. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM.
in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday I meet someone who's shaping the world of business. If you'd like to listen to any of the 250-plus people that I have met in the last few years, go into iTunes, put in the words Jazz and Shapers. Uh, if you'd like to listen on your next British Airways flight, you're very welcome to because it's on BA High Life as well. Dana Dennis-Smith is my business shaper today. She's the founder of Obelisk Support. They provide legal support to businesses uh, in a very natty way, a secret formula, as she called it, the magic ingredients. You need, you need a lawyer on demand almost and you've got one there um, once you go through the right process you talked about the client journey um, and again I go back to your training as it were you're a researcher you're a lawyer Um, is it just common sense when you're mapping out how someone wants to receive a service could it have been any service or was there something intrinsic to being a lawyer delivering a service to a client was it was it not like that at all well, I think in any, you know, I put myself, if you like, as a consumer um, and understand, uh, trying to understand how I behave and what I expect from a service. So for me, this is how I approach how we service. You know, it needs to be easy, it needs to be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be freely because we don't offer a premium service. So it's a kind of, you know, um, very, as I call the John Lewis, you know what you get, it doesn't unravel in the wash. Um, that's what the business is aiming to do. Um and uh, I lead from that point of view. How how do I feel if I get serviced that way? And that is the question that I want my team to answer and put themselves in that position of a client, and then um, make it really simple and uh, and easy for them to experience working with us. And how many lawyers are now registered with you on your uh, in your business? So we have now about uh, one thousand two hundred lawyers um, registered. Um, Which, from your perspective, have... is a big that's a, a lot of lawyers in a way because most law firms are not going to be that that size at all. I think it's um, symptomatic of the fact that the legal profession is, you know, has an oversupply of lawyers. The question is, you know, can we get the good lawyers that we want to work because we only do business law, so it's really important that they have the right quality uh, to them. You, and how do you ensure that? I'm interested in the quality assurance. Obviously, if you're hiring somebody into a business, it's you, you see the, the, the whites of their eyes, you have many interviews and so on and so forth. It's not perfect, but you get a sense. And what, what do you do to ensure the quality is there? So the, I have a whole team that is focused on the, if you like, the consultant journey so similar to the you know client journey we have a double you know um, headed ego kind of a structure right so the, the consultants have to be looked after as well um, and that starts with how they experience their first interaction with us so the recruitment process is mapped out they have to have a minimum of two years of experience in a top law firm or very large multinational because that's our client base. Um, so there are sort of minimum criteria that are objective, if you like. And then there's the culture fit um, element, which involves interviewing and actually seeing the um, white of their eyes. So um, it's a mixed kind of process. It can take about two weeks for it to complete. And um, I think only about 40% of people make it through. So. And at what point was their critical mass? When did you suddenly go from just a handful of people up to the, the hundreds and then into the you know the, the serious numbers? When when did it pop, as it were, for for the business? So we, uh, when I so I remember actually quite clearly, I made a decision um, at about 120 lawyers, which was probably around March 2012, um, that it wasn't enough because actually when you looked at their availability and how you can build capacity, maybe it would be the equivalent of say 20 people full time. And for the client base, and the, you know, because we were increasing our client uh, base, you know, in order to support these kind of large companies, you need to have 
huge scale. So I realized that the only way the operating model would work is to be at a huge scale. So um, at that point, uh, we made a, a decision that we had to get to 500 um, within the year, which we did. And then we got to about 800. Um, so it's become a very big focus of the business, acquiring new suppliers all the time. Stay with me for much more from Dana Dennis-Smith, my business shape today, the founder of Obelisk Support. Type some music. This is Cannonball Adley and Bossa Rio Sextet with Groovy Samba. <laughs> That was Groovy Samba. I just want to say the word groovy again. That was Groovy Samba with Cannibal Adley and Bossa Rio Sextet. I've been talking to Dana Dennis-Smith about setting up her business called Obelisk Support, a very innovative um, change to the industry as it was then, and it was around basically taking all that fantastic resource which was sitting at home in between parenting but also having time to do work and wanting to work but not in the conventional go-to-the-office way, and, and, and you've indeed met uh, a very important need in the market. Tell me a little bit about the first 100 years, which is this organisation that you created, I think, back in 2014. What, what was its purpose and, and where are you now with it? So the purpose of the first 100 years was to chart the journey of women in law because um, I qualified as an English solicitor. So I, this is my only, if you like, um, inheritance is also being a solicitor here. And yet I had no idea about the history of when women came into the profession um, and yet, um, uh, all the time I was seeing stories about how women were not advancing and there were not enough women in leadership positions. So I wanted to understand um, where we came from in order to understand the present and actually to help change something in the future. Because I think I'm a great believer that unless you understand where you come from, you can't really go in any one direction. You don't really know where you're going. So that was the purpose. Um, and just talking a little bit about y you, um, y where were you born? In Romania, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And you came here when? When did you come to the UK? I came around tw over 20 years ago. Okay. So I came, um, I ended up going to the London School of Economics to study. And um, so I basically ended up settling here, getting married, all the usual story. Do you still, do you think there's a benefit to the fact that you weren't here for the first 20 years of your life, that you kind of see things in a different way to someone who was born here and brought up here? I would agree. Not well, not necessarily because I was, you know, uh, born abroad. I think it's the country and the way, the system in which I grew up that I think is relevant. Because I think that kind of um, controlled economy, you know, I I had no, I I, I can't claim any early entrepreneurial journey. Um, there was no marketplace in Romania. It was communist, and I think this idea of. Um, intervention in the market, which was a very communist socialist way of running an economy, is a really interesting one because I realized actually I applied in the business because unless you make um, a match happen very easily, you know, if you allow market forces to play, you will always end up with a client wanting a full-time employee full-time on site in their office. So the only way we can create a really um, successful recipe for the business is because I intervene in that marketplace and I make the marriage happen between clients and lawyers. So I think it's in a way very informative of my way of running the business. And now do you still feel very much like you're 
Romanian in your head or you're British or does it just you don't think about things like that anymore? Is it kind of irrelevant? Well, I'll have to use the kind of very unfashionable way of saying I'm a citizen of the world, which is not maybe a good thing these days. Mm. But um, that's how I feel. I don't feel I'm, you know, if, if you like, I think I feel like a Londoner. Um, I don't feel Romanian or British. I feel I belong here. Stay with me for Donna Dennis-Smith, my business shaper today. We'll be having our final chat with her, plus playing a track from Madeleine Peru. That's after the latest Traffic and Travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. Named Law Firm of the Year at the Legal Business Awards and the Lawyer Awards 2017. That was the summer wind from Madeline Peru. Dana Dennis-Smith has been talking to me about all sorts of things, about interventions based on uh, learn, learning how to live or not live in a communist country. Uh, interesting uh, lesson over there that you've applied over here, uh, not expected, I guess. And we've also been talking about the first 100 years, which is your um, the organisation you've created. You are a bit of a creator. Uh, you've created to celebrate the 100 years of women in the um, legal profession. One of the things you're doing is the Inspirational Women in Law Awards. You've created them. Um, That's happening uh, end of October. Nominations are in. What are you actually celebrating there? Just tell me a little bit about what you're looking to highlight. The award is part of, if you like, the search for the next generation of women lawyers that we want to feature part of the um, centenary anniversary. So rather than um, kind of um, just deciding um, who we think is inspirational, we decided to create a whole award um, around this so people can nominate people that feel inspired. And it's open to anybody of any age as long as they've worked for 10 years in the legal profession. So it opens up a new range of names for the project because very often, you know, it's very easy to determine who the first woman president of the Supreme Court was or who the pioneers were. But it's much more difficult to know because the profession has expanded so much recently who will be the woman of the future. And this is what we're looking for. There aren't many pioneering people in the law in general. You don't don't associate the law with great transformations and breakthroughs and entrepreneurs. It's quite a conservative profession, um, respectful of its own history and so on. Have you enjoyed being a bit of a disruptor? I would say I enjoy being an inventor. Um, so disruption wasn't part of my motivation. For me, I'm interested in in change and in progress and in changing people's lives. So that's what excites me um, more than the idea of being labelled a disruptor. And why are you so interested in change and progress and things? Because most people just carry on in their daily lives and they just get on with it, they do their job and they go home. You've, you've done something different. Where do you think that drives come from, Donna? I think it's genetic, actually. (laughs) I think my father was an inventor and I think I learned from him that you can tweak with things and you don't have to, you know, rip everything apart for it to work better. You can actually make a few smaller changes and you can really make a difference. So I feel change can be, you know, very huge and kind of, you know, explosive. But also there's change and especially in the legal profession, sometimes it can be more gradual, but with impact. And when are you at your most happy? When are you happiest when you're working? What are the bits of what you do uh, that really excite you, that really generate enthusiasm and energy for you? 
I'm very happy with the team because I think they come to work because they believe in what we stand for. They don't come to work because they want to earn a wage. So it's nice to see that we, you know, if you like, my motivations become infectious. So now they are infecting me in return, which is a really nice um, place to be. I'm always really happy when I see that we succeeded for individuals that sometimes get left behind. Um, you know, in particular, we're seeing elderly men that get pushed out of the workplace much, you know, too soon. That can be men and women. So changing people's, you know, um, life direction and helping them achieve what they want makes me really happy. Well, continue to do those things. Those are both very good things to do and um, pretty big, ambitious goals as well for you. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My choice is Hugh Masekela. Um, uh, it's the South African um, uh, musician and I picked Stimela. Um, it came out around the time when I kind of came out of communism and Romania. And uh, I think it's um, it's a song that captures, it's such a universal song, really. I love the way he manages to mix world music with, you know, the best jazz kind of, you know, he's really elaborate in his style. But also I like the politics of it. I, I'm, I feel I'm quite a political individual and I like, you know, this is what motivates the change, right? So you, um, I find that he succeeds in making a political song that remains universal this day and you know the story of economic migrants I think is no bigger than today you know it's it's a huge story of today and it's going to dominate our conversation for a few years and I think it's very personal to me as well because it's linked to travel and looking at the world from afar and looking for betterment so he has a lot of um, a, a lot of things that I, I care about and also he was one of the first people I think I went to see at Ronnie Scott's so I actually can say I was you know near enough him to kind of enjoy a bit of the glow so uh, I think it's a great choice Fantastic, here he is just for you That was Stimella from Hugh Masekela, the song choice of my business shaper today, Dana Dennis-Smith. Someone who saw the world as an insider-outsider, as she said it. With a little bit of distance, you get a different kind of perspective. Someone who believes in change, who is an agent of change, who has done things consistently that is about, are about changing things for the better. And someone who really believes fundamentally in mission. Her business is all about people believing that there is a better way of doing something and getting behind it and not, as she said, just working for the wage. Really good stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place, 9am next week. Book your appointment here on Jazz FM. But before that, and coming up next, it's the one and only Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>